Okay. And the first topic that I know is um, it's probably one of the biggest rumors that's going within Catholic circles is uh, Archbishop Vegano, who is really, really uh, pulling in, I would say, of the blame of the liberalization of the church uh, on Freemasonry. And a lot of people here and there are talking about Freemasonry as the problem, but I think it goes even further than Freemasonry, especially after reading your books and uh, as far as the Jews go. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on, on that. Yeah, uh, Freemasonry was uh, a reaction to the uh, religious wars of the 17th century. It tried to cre create a, a, an ideology that would transcend religious difference, that we could all agree on reason, and it was crucial in the promotion of the Enlightenment. Uh, but it was, uh, it, it was uh, influenced by, by Jewish thought. Uh, and that's what I bring out in the Jewish revolutionary spirit. A lot of it, uh, the mumbo jumbo associated with Freemasonry had to do with uh, the temple, uh, the, the original temple, the rebuilding of the temple, and all this other type of stuff. Uh, but it was also involved, uh, Freemasonry became weaponized right. during this, during the uh, 1721, actually, the Whigs took over the Grand Masonic Lodge in London, and they turned it into a form of uh, psychological warfare <laughs> against the French. And that uh, ended up, in, succeeded in uh, toppling the Bourbon monarchy. In France, it's known as the French Revolution, but it was really a, a uh, an English black op run by the Whigs, uh, who were the Fr English and the French were basically in a battle at this point, uh, contesting who was going to control the world. Uh, the battle took place on various fronts. Uh, Canada was one of them, where the English defeated the French. The French had to uh, give uh, Canada over to the to the British, uh, and this was what was going on at this time. But the book, the, book uh, the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, deals with uh, not just Jews who had their own revolutionary movement. It deals with Christians who wanted to act like Jews, who, who admired Jews. It's generally Christians who want a kind of carnal religion. Uh, we call it the prosperity gospel. <laughs> California is one of the centers of the prosperity gospel yeah. uh, in America right now. And basically, it uh, deals with uh, people, you know, uh, God wants you to have that BMW. Uh, that's, that's, it's kind of like a weird perversion of the gospel, which, right. as I'm reading it, uh, has to do with the cross and the crucifix, which I'm seeing behind your head. This is the uh, symbol that the Christians hold up as the central symbol of Christianity, and it's the symbol of what we can expect from this world if we follow Jesus Christ. So it's not going to be prosperity, it's going to be persecution. So anyway, you have this, this constant distortion. Now to get up to the present uh, era, I, you have Archbishop Vigano, who certainly knows what he's talking about when it comes to the Catholic Church in America uh, right now, because right. he was nuncio, he was involved in the McCarrick scandal, he tried to expose it, uh, got nowhere. He's an expert on what you would call the homosexual mafia that is uh, certainly, if not controlling the church, then certainly very powerful in the Catholic Church, especially in religious orders. Agreed. Homosexuality is always a problem when you have celibacy. 
because the homosexual can easily subvert celibate orders. Uh, and that, that is what has happened in the United States of America. Unfortunately, uh, when it comes to history, uh, Vigano has no special expertise. And I'm talking now not simply about, uh, you know, history of centuries ago. I'm talking about recent history, including the Second Vatican Council. Okay. So Vigano has blamed uh, Freemasonry and the Second Vatican Council, and both of them are wrong. Okay, first of all, Freemasonry is an obsolete revolutionary movement. So to blame Freemasonry for what's going on today is like blaming the Amish uh, because of the Anabaptist rebellion in Münster in 1539 or whatever it was. That's not, that's not what's going on. That's another, Anabaptism is another obsolete political movement. But the Jewish revolutionary spirit is perennial. It's always there. And it's never going to go away until the end of time. And the only possible way it can go away is if the Jews convert and accept their true vocation as uh, children of Moses and Moses being the man who waited for the Messiah, who looked forward for the Messiah. So you can only become a child of Moses by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to the Second Vatican Council, it turns out it wasn't the Freemasons. It was the Jews. And in particular, it was uh, the B'nai B'rith, two Jewish, one, uh, one Jewish organization, and the American Jewish Committee. And these groups got together to subvert the church's teaching on the Jews. Uh, and we know this because they uh, got their agent into the Second Vatican Council. This agent was a priest, a Jesuit priest by the name of Malachi Martin. He was an assistant to Cardinal Bea, who was the man who was supposed to talk to the Jews. Cardinal Bea is the one who met with Jules Isaac uh, right before the council and arranged for Isaac to be able to be present at the, at the council. The, the result, the, the, so Malachi Martin is a double agent. He's pre, he looks like a Jesuit priest. He is a Jesuit priest, but he's really working for the Jews. And what he wants the, uh, the document on the Jews to do is to basically say that uh, the Jews were not responsible for the death of Christ. Wow. Now, this is difficult to do because it's in Scripture. Right. So if you go to the first, uh, the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, you have Peter uh, saying uh, to the Jews, this is after Pentecost, you killed Christ. Right. You, meaning you, the Jewish people, killed Christ. Right. And the Jews are cut to the heart, and they say, well, what must we do to be saved? And he says, you have to be baptized. So there's a clear example. This is important because it's, it has to be the basis for any Catholic-Jewish dialogue. We're not going to get anywhere unless we say, in some sense or other, you killed Christ. Well, that's precisely what the Vatican Council uh, was incapable of, of doing or, or was afraid of doing or... It, it, it lets, the document does say, gets around to it finally, and says, well, I'm talking about Nostra Aetate. Nostra Aetate says, not all Jews at the time of Christ were responsible for his death. Now, there are arguments, logicians argue with me on this one, but that means to me that some Jews were responsible. If not all, but some Jews were responsible. Well, who was not responsible? Well, how about the Blessed Mother? Yeah. 
She was not responsible. She was a Jew living in Jerusalem at that time. She didn't cry, crucify him. Uh, St. John was standing next to her, and he didn't cry, crucify him either. The other apostles were so scared they ran away, okay? But they did not uh, participate in his death. They were afraid, but they didn't participate in his death. So it turns out, well, who is responsible? Now, there's a certain group of people who wants to talk about, they want to be uh, have dialogue with Jews, and they say the Jewish leaders were responsible. Or at least you're right. Yeah, they were responsible, but you can't be a Jewish leader without a Jewish follower. And so who is responsible? It's the Jewish people. Right. Jewish people are responsible for the death of Christ. Does that mean every Jew? No, because the Jewish people is the political organization of this group of people. Leaders, followers, and they all cried out, crucify him. And then they said, may his blood be on us and on our children. That's who's responsible. And that is precisely what St. Paul says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, where he says, the Jewish, the Jewish people, the Jews, the people who killed Christ, who are enemies of the entire human race. Now, this is the gospel. We cannot get around the gospel. You can have any number of church documents. If they contradict the gospel, they're worthless. And that's precisely uh, the situation we're in right now, where basically we've had 50 years, over 50 years of Catholic Jewish dialogue, which has been completely worthless. If it were only worthless, it would be bad enough. But it has led to the subversion of Catholic teaching. It has led to the destruction of Catholic culture. A classic example of what I'm talking about is the Oberammergau Passion Play, which was gutted by Jews and their Catholic collaborators. Uh, wow. There's a chapter on that in the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. So to this extent, uh, I have to say that I have to disagree with Archbishop Vigano. Uh, he, he, he does it because he's an archbishop. He's been trained not to say the word Jew. Well, I'm sorry, but we can't deal with contemporary issues without saying that word. It is impossible. Impossible. You can't deal with American foreign policy without talking about the Israel lobby. You can't deal with the contemporary subversion of moral pornography is a Jewish operation, abortion is Jewish, and political correctness is Jewish. So you can't you can't talk about internet deplatforming without mentioning the ADL. They're taking credit for it. The ADL, one of the groups that was paying to Balaki Martin to subvert the Second Vatican Council, they are the creators of this term hate speech. Right. So you, no matter where you look, we live in a culture that is run by Jews. And uh, they have so much power that they can punish you for even mentioning the name. The name. Now, this is, this is, this is we should understand this because this is precisely the situation that St. Paul was in at the beginning of Christianity. Uh, one of the terms that comes up constantly in uh, the Gospel of St. John is fear of the Jews. Well, they were consumed by fear because the Jews were going to punish them for mentioning the name Jesus Christ. The same thing is true today. Why should it be any different? This is a battle that's going to go on as long as there are Christians and Jews, as long as there is human beings and human history. It's going to go on. Wow. Um, so, kind of going back a little bit to the Vatican Council, 
would you view Freemasonry as an ally of Jewish power? or It's a group of people who wanted to be Jews. They wanted to, they wanted to be like Jews. It's not the only group. They were, that before them, they were the Puritans. Right. The Puritans were Judaizers. And in, in some sense, the Freemasons are the reaction to the Puritans, but they're the same thing. <laughs> because they're both groups that are trying to imitate Jews. Different, they imitate different aspects of it. So you have a, a Puritan by the name of Praise God Bare Bones. Wow. Praise God Bare Bones, who was one of the, the craziest uh, of the Puritans when all Puritans were considered crazy. Praise God Bare Bones wanted uh, to, uh, Hebrew to become the official language of England. And wow. he wanted this because Hebrew is the language that God spoke. So obviously he's spoken with God and how can you argue with someone who's spoken to God in Hebrew, right? right. Well, his son, his son's name was Nicolas Barbon. He went back to the French, he went back to the French original of this name and he was a Whig, a Freemason and a capitalist. But that was also an imitation of Jewish behavior. So instead of imitating the English idea of what the prophets were like, Cromwell did this. Now you're imitating uh, the Jew that you see on the street who's involved in banking and usury. That's it. But it went from one to the other. And the one thing remained constant in English history was Judeophilia, which is true to this day. Ask Jeremy Corbyn. Ask Jeremy Corbyn if the Jews are his friends. <laughs> See what he says. Wow. Wow, you really um, enlightened me with that information. Um, after reading Vigano's uh, response to the infiltration of Freemasonry and after reading your books, I, I, I had to ask you that question because it, it definitely seemed, in short words, a lot more than just Freemasonry. In, in short, Jews be, behind all of it. Um. I did have an, another note to add to that, actually. Um, when Pope Benedict XVI revised the Latin Mass, there was huge protests of Jews across the country, uh, all because of a prayer in that form of the Mass that had a portion that said, um, deliver Jews from their darkness. Right. And I think, uh, I'm actually I'm almost sure that Pope Benedict XVI did remove that prayer from the Mass. I wanted to know your your thoughts on on that. See, this is, the the Latin Mass has become an object of division in the uh, in the church now, and there are people who and younger people are drawn to the Latin Mass now, right. um, and uh, I can understand why. Uh, but the cru from my point of view, the crucial issue is that the English translation of the Mass was an excuse to neuter. A lot of the traditional liturgy and by neuter I mean remove any mention of the Jews exactly it was it was used as an excuse and so it simply doesn't come up anymore this is important because the Lex Credende uh, follows the Lex Orandi and if you change the Lex Orandi people don't know what they believe anymore and that's that's part of the problem I met with a uh, we have a, a fraternity of St. Peter Parish here in South Bend and I met with a, a young seminarian who's just did a paper on all of the mentions, uh, the this passages which mention Jews, which have been removed from the liturgy. And so obviously the Jews got upset because there were still these passages left in the traditional 
uh, liturgy, and they wanted them removed too. Now, we have reached a bad situation because now the Jews have veto power, not only over our liturgy, they have veto power over who gets named a saint now. This is an intolerable situation. It's intolerable. It has to change. It has to change. We have reached a dead end. It's a mistake. I'm not saying Nostra Tate is heretical, although there's a statement in there that needs to be clarified. The statement is the church opposes all forms of anti-Semitism. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Do you mean everything the ADL says is anti-Semitism I have to accept as a Catholic? No, it can't mean that. That's impossible. Right, what, it right. means, what it means is they're talking about the traditional form uh, of meaning of anti-Semitism, which means racial biological determinism, which the church has never believed in. You are not determined by your DNA. Right. You are not determined by the shape of your nose or the color of your hair. Your mind is what determines your behavior. Uh, so so that's what the church means, but we have to have some type of course correction because even the Vatican has admitted that this uh, 50 years of Catholic-Jewish dialogue has been a failure. What is, what is it produced? It's produced nothing. And, and it, all it has done is cripple the Catholic Church in opposing Jewish moral subversion of the culture. So the first casualty of this Vatican II was the Legion of Decency. The Legion of Decency held Hollywood in check for 31 years. Okay, you allow Hollywood to produce whatever they want, they will get right into pornography because that's part of Jewish culture. And they get into pornography because they know it will weaken the Goyim. Right. So now you have a whole generation because of the Catholic Church capitulating in 1965 and abandoning the Legion of Decency, you have a whole generation of 20-year-olds who have grown up with pornography on their cell phones and have bad sexual addictions right now. Exactly. That's a pandemic right now across our country. And, yeah, and, no, and no one's allowed to talk about it. So you're allowed to, you're allowed to, I've been deplatformed for hate speech, but... No, no one is being deplatformed for promoting pornography. Exactly. Why is that? Well, the answer is very simple. It's because Jews determine discourse in our culture. When Jews right. determine discourse, abortion is a sacrament, and sodomy is a virtue, and pornography is free speech. Well, I don't believe that. I'm being punished because I won't accept Jewish values. Exactly. Um I remember listening to uh, a little bit of a broadcast on um, a podcast, actually, of yours, where you were talking about the Catholic-Jewish battle of pornography, uh, first with the Protestants, and then when they failed, it was the Catholics' terms, and that they were successful for a while, up until later, where they did eventually lose to the Jews. 65, 1965. Right. They ran up the white flag. They surrendered without a fight. And, and by the way, the same thing happened in Germany, which mu with much worse consequences than happened here. I cover that in the, uh, my book, Logos Rising, in the chapter of uh, Werner Heisenberg and Jewish Science. Uh, much worse in Germany than what happened here. That's why the Germans are uh, a conquered nation right now. They've internalized the commands of their Jewish oppressors. I did see a little bit about that, actually, with the interview you did with uh, Alex Jones. You were talking about the degenerate experiment they did after World War II in Germany and how it just became accessible up until this day. 
Right. It has. They, they had no defense, first of all, because they were a conquered nation. Secondly, they didn't know what psychological warfare was. No one right. did in 1954. And thirdly, it seemed better than uh, what the Jew Morgenthau was proposing, which was basically to starve the Germans to death. Wow. He tried that over the winter of 1946-47. Die Hungerjahre. That's what the Germans still call them to this day. You know, uh, right. this was a Jew uh, and uh, Secretary of Treasury under Roosevelt who was uh, involved in genocide. That was wow. genocide. And then finally, the, the adults in the room woke up and they realized, no, we need Germans as a bulwark against the Soviet Union. So let's have the Marshall Plan instead of the Morgenthau Plan. And that brought money into the economy, but it also brought pornography in. And it also brought social engineering in. And social engineering in Germany was administered by the Jews. There was a, a, a Jew, Jewish psychiatrist from New York City by the name of David Mordecai Levy. If you wanted to publish a book or a magazine or uh, produce a TV show or a movie, you had to get a license from this Jew. And in order to get the license, you had to lie down on the psychiatrist's couch and you have to, had to talk about your guilt for what you did to the Jewish people in Germany. And then if you groveled enough, uh, you got the license, and then you could not criticize Jews. So no one at this point could say, wait a minute, it's the Jew. Wait a minute, the Jews are behind this pornography now. They were trying to starve us to death. Now they're behind the pornography. No, you couldn't do that. And I think the church lost its nerve there. And I think one of the people, I hope, I, I mean, I remember uh, Cardinal uh, Ratzinger writing a memoir about the 60s in which he talked about how we felt we needed a new approach, a new approach. So they they abandoned their own legion of decency. Wow. The church abandoned it. It was called the Volkswagen. And uh, they abandoned it. And the result was uh, 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 pornography swept through the country, destroyed the moral, sexual morals of an entire generation. I was there. I saw it happening with my own two eyes. I was a teacher in Germany. I was teaching English at the time when the whole series, the Schulmädchen report, the schoolgirl report. Now, report at that point became a German word. It is now a German word. It was never a German word before this. The main reason it became a German word was because of all of the articles they did on the Kinsey report in the 1950s and 60s. That was, and the church at this point is confronted with Kinsey calling himself a scientist. Right. Kinsey was a homosexual. <laughs> Kinsey was a flaming homosexual. He hated the idea of doing a book on women's sexuality. He hated women. All he wanted to do was go to gay bars and talk to the, the homosexuals about what they did the night before. Exactly. You know, and he came up with a hugely inflated figure about the homosexual population. Um, kind of going back a little bit to the Catholic Jewish failed experiment of Catholic Jewish dialogue. A lot of people think that modern day uh, Judaism is the same as before Christ uh, with Mosaism. And I know there's a lot of confusion there. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on, on the difference. Yes, when 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 uh, 
Jesus Christ arrived on this earth as the Messiah, he only spoke to Jews. He would not speak to uh, uh, the Syrophoenician woman, kind of had to beg for him, and he finally said, you know, I'll throw some scraps to the dogs here. So, uh, and the Jews had to make a decision. Do we accept the Messiah on our terms or on his terms? Right. And most Jews rejected them because they would not accept them on his terms, Jesus Christ. They wanted a powerful military leader that would overthrow Roman rule in, in, uh, in Palestine. And that's not what they got. So when they rejected uh, Jesus Christ, uh, they became the enemies of Logos, which is what they are to this day. Now, they uh, had a, something called the Mosaic Covenant those Jews. And the Mosaic Covenant, you needed three things to fulfill it. You needed a temple, you needed a priesthood, and you needed sacrifice. Well, the Jews got what they wanted. Uh, they got their rebellion against the Roman Empire, and it succeeded for a little bit, uh, and then it was crushed. The Romans came in and crushed it, and they destroyed the temple. And at that point, the Shekinah disappeared from the Jewish people. The presence, the real presence, there was no real presence after that. The real presence was in the Eucharist. And now it was the church that had the temple, which is the body of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of the mass, and the priesthood to administer that. It was now the Catholic Church, which is the true successor of the uh, Mosaic Covenant, which is obsolete. It's been destroyed. You can't do it anymore. So the Jews realize this. There was a rabbi during the siege of Jerusalem. This was the second siege of Jerusalem. Simon Bar Kokhba came back and did it again, and he got crushed as well. But just before that, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai uh, had himself smuggled out of uh, Jerusalem in a shroud. He went to Titus. He said, I'm a citizen of Rome. I'm asking a favor. Please let me found a school. Now, this is the beginning of Judaism as we know it today. It is not the same religion as the religion of the Mosaic Covenant, which was destroyed by the Roman army and destroyed at the time of the resurrection, actually, when the curtain was written to the Shekinah, the, vis the, the, the visible sign of the Shekinah. So at this point, you've got the Jews are involved in a debating society. That's it. No priesthood, no sacrifice, no temple. You can, they cannot fulfill the Mosaic Covenant. They cannot do it. So they're going to have a debating society, and it's based on the synagogue or, or the shul. It's called the shul sometimes, which means a school. It's a school where you sit around and you talk forever. You just talk forever and ever. You never get to the conclusion. And they, the codification of this became known as the Talmud. Oh, wow, yeah. And the Talmud is, depending on which one you talk about, it's either 300 years or 600 years younger than Christianity. So Judaism is not older than Christianity, it's younger than Christianity. And it was created, uh, a, a book uh, A book became its codification. The Talmud is, the Torah is the word of God, that's the first five books of the Bible. But the Talmud is the word of man, and they, no Jew will ever tell you that the Talmud is the word of God. They know it's not. Right, it's right. opinions. It's rabbis' opinions. And this led to the kind of Jewish Talmudic mentality that we have today of constantly quibbling about things. Their masters are quibbling. 
And Heinrich Graetz, who's the father of Jewish historiography, said it turned them into uh, experts at cheating you, cheating right. Goyim. This is Heinrich Graetz. This is not E. Michael Jones. Heinrich Graetz is the father of Jewish historiography, and he said that moral, uh, the moral fiber of the Jewish people was destroyed by the study of the Talmud. Wow. I didn't get a chance to read uh, some of the most blasphemous parts of the Talmud against Christianity. And I, I definitely do want to say that there's a huge difference in what Judaism was and what Judaism is now. And I wanted to ask you, as, as far as the Catholic-Jewish dialogue, what do you think is the remedy that should be done? Like, should the church uh, change its stance on Nostra Tate? No, you don't have to. No, Catholic Jewish dialogue is not in Nostra Tate. Nostra Tate is fine. There's that one sentence I said that has to be clarified. You know, you can't say Catholics have to oppose all forms of anti-Semitism without explaining what you mean by the word anti-Semitism. Because the Jew will never explain what the word anti-Semitism means because it's used as a weapon. So, no, they have to abandon the failed experiment known as Catholic Jewish dialogue. They've admitted it's a failed experiment. It's not going to, nothing can save it. The Jews have shown their true colors during this 50-year period. They have used it to attack Catholic culture. That's all they have ever done. Right. Every example of Catholic Jewish dialogue is always aimed at, well, let's see what we can get from the Goyim this time. Let's see if we can destroy the Oberon or Galpassion play. Let's see if we can get them to stop using the Gospel of St. John during Easter services. Now, during that period of time, the Catholics have never come back and saying, well, how about if you remove those blasphemous passages from the Talmud? How about that? How about the passage where Jesus Christ is boiling in excrement in hell? Don't you think that hurts our feelings? Why is it always a one-way street? Right. Why is it always a one? It's a disaster. It should be terminated immediately, and we should go back to the the the, the traditional teaching of the church, which is secret Judeus non, which is basically on the one hand, no one has the right to harm the Jew. On the other hand, the Jew has no right to destroy your culture. Exactly. So if we could put those two things in alignment, that would be a modus vivendi. That's all we need politically, simply a modus vivendi. That modus vivendi worked for 1,500 years. Uh, it did, uh, Europe, Europe, Europe it took, I mean, in the face of local uprising, of local people who are outraged at the fact that the Jews are bleeding them dry because of usury, uh, the natural compulsion, uh, the natural reaction at this point is, uh, we know where the Jews live. We're going to burn down his house. Uh, if he goes up, that's his tough luck. But the reason we're burning down the house is not to burn down the Jew. It's to burn his records of our debts. Exactly. Wow. And so that you, that's a, an understandable reaction. And those Jews, when it came to that type of incident, they always found refuge with the Catholic Church. It was always a bishop or the pope who would take them in and defend them against the mob. And the mob was furious because they're bleeding us dry, because this usury is good. We can't have usury. It's a crime. It's a sin. And why isn't the church enforcing these laws? 
Right. Um, that that does take me to uh, going on to your book, La Civita Católica. And there was a part here that I was just really astonished um, because contrary to popular belief, uh, a lot of Americans think that anti-Semitism was formed right when, uh, right before World War II with the rise of Hitler, not knowing of the boiling points across Europe with Jewish usury going on in Europe. And there was this part in your book uh, where I was reading where Jews were banned more about 10 times from the House of Austria. And a book was released by a German member of the Reichstag called The Desperate Struggle Between Aryan and the Jew. And here he is talking about a plea to close Germany's borders with Jewish immigrants. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on the boiling points of, of anti-Judaism in Europe prior to uh, the rise of Hitler. Right. Well, first, first of all, the, the ball got rolling with the French Revolution. Right. The Simonini letter, Simonini wrote a letter to uh, Barrowell, Abbe Barrowell said the Jews were behind it. Barrowell suppressed the letter. Barrowell is a dishonest scholar. I'm sorry. No matter what his reputation is, he was dishonest. Uh, and that's why his book isn't taken seriously anymore. So we know the Jews were involved with the French Revolution. Then Napoleon comes along and emancipates the Jews, says, makes them citizens equal to the French. As soon as they are emancipated, as soon as they're allowed out of the ghetto, they start exploiting their fellow Frenchmen. And how, what's the main way they exploit their fellow Frenchmen? By lending them money and getting involved in usury. And so what you have the period from the emancipation of the Jews, 1807, I believe it was, up to 1848 is the Jewish capitalist takeover of Europe. Both Engels, Friedrich Engels, and Bishop von Kettler, you're talking about the two opposite ends of the political spectrum in 1848, both of them said that capitalism was responsible for the French uh, the Revolution of 1848. Richard Wagner was involved in that revolution. He wrote uh, Das Rheingold, one of the greatest operas ever, and the absolute best explanation of the mythic uh, origins of capitalism in theft. Capitalism begins in theft. It's, that's where the Reformation, uh, the Reformation was theft. It was a looting operation. So at this point, uh, the revolution is suppressed. Every revolution is suppressed. And the Jews make out better after the revolution and before. Another revolution, 1870. By the 1890s, it's become intolerable. You have the Rothschild family basically running all of Europe through finance because all of the princes get into debt to the Jew. And yeah. then the Jew, they do the bidding of the Jew. And against the interest of the local Catholic population, it is suffering under usury. So... Uh, it was Ratzinger, Pope Benedict's great uncle, Georg Ratzinger, who wrote a book called Judicious of Erbsleben, which came out two years after the Chivota Catholica series that you're mentioning. So the Chivota Catholica series, finally, the Catholic Church has to deal with this issue. Uh, 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 this is the official magazine of the Vatican. What are we supposed to say? They are saying there's a Jewish problem. Right. Are they anti-Semites? No. Wait, wait a minute. I have a question. Who who appointed you? Why are you superior to the Jesuits who ran the Chivota Catholica in 1890? That's the Catholic Church, too. It's the official magazine of the Vatican. They talk about the voracious octopus of Judaism. Well, that's anti-Semitism, isn't it? Well, that's what the Catholic Church was saying at that point. Two years later, Georg Rossinger said, 
if the church does not enforce usury laws, there's going to be a violent reaction. And then he says, this is one of the most prophetic statements I've ever read. Uh, this, the, re, the, the people will engage in this violent reaction as soon as they find a leader. Guess what the German word for leader is? Fear. Fear. Right. He predicted the rise of Hitler. Exactly. Forty years before it happened, he predicted it because he understood the logic here. And the logic is basically you have to enforce usury laws. Because if you don't, the Christian people are going to be crushed, which is exactly what is happening right now. We don't have a Christian culture anymore. Right. The Jews run it, and the result is uh, that same generation that's addicted to pornography because the Jews broke the production code, they're also up to their eyeballs in student loan debt. This is what you get when you sign on for Jewish culture. When you allow the Jews to take over your culture, you have addiction. You have slavery and no way out. You can't declare bankruptcy on student loans. Yeah, it's horrible. It's actually, uh, really, uh, you may have student loans yourself. Who knows? But I mean, the point here is that uh, what are you saying? Well, you're saying that the rich and the powerful can because that's what Donald Trump did, did it three times because he was too big to fail. But you. Living, in your, I'm not talking about you now. I'm talking about this generation, okay? Uh, a generation living in their parents' basement, watching <laughs> pornography, crushed with debt, cannot form a family. There is violence brewing there. Right, okay? right. And I, I do think the ADL is largely uh, responsible for the rise in violence because they're censoring what you were saying earlier in another video they're censoring the message that's right so if you if you can't talk you're going to pick up a gun right. that's exactly what that guy said at the tree of life synagogue in pittsburgh wow. you know i'm going in i'm tired of talking they're censoring my youtube channel that's exactly and the, i think the jews know this they, they, they're always willing to offer up other Jews on the altar of their power. And so we'll get, those Jews will get killed, but they'll become martyrs. And then we'll blame it on E. Michael Jones because he's trying to address the issue. He's an anti-Semite. I said, no, no, don't blame me. You're you again, the ADL. I'm pointing my finger at the ADL and I'm saying you're responsible. You're the one who's creating the violence because you're suppressing any type of rational discussion of what's going on. Wow. I mean, it, it's, it's become to the point to where a lot of people are just brewing anger because they can't even express how they truly feel and mainly towards Jews in general. Uh, there was a point here in the Sivota Catholica that I wanted to point out where in June 29, 1869, there was a synod of Israelites from all over Europe that were presided by Dr. Lazarus of Berlin to where modern principles of the rights of men were invented for Judaism and its followers. Once having absolute equality and civil liberty in every sphere with Christians, like a dam holding back Hebrews, they took over the gold stock market, the press, high positions in the military, political administrations, the press and more. Uh, would, would you say that's really relevant to what's going on today in our own country? Yeah, well, of course. Look, uh, let's have a thought experiment. Can you imagine any Catholic 
bishop, any Catholic priest saying something like that today? No. No, it's it's not it, it's not imaginable. You can't even imagine that idea. Right. From the Pope on down, every every Catholic, uh, any Catholic who would say that would be condemned as an anti-Semite. Exactly. Well, this is the official magazine of the Vatican, where they're saying this. This is how much we've lost. I'm trying. This is why this Civilta Cattolica series is important. This right. is not Mike Jones talking here. This is the Catholic Church talking to the Catholic people, saying we've got to do something about this. Well, it's ten times worse now if you can put it in number, and no one's talking about it. And the point is, it is ten times worse because no one's talking about it, because no one's allowed to talk about it, because the Catholic Church has been crippled by this ridiculous experiment, this failed experiment called Catholic-Jewish dialogue. Um, going, going, uh, moving on now from, we're talking about Vatican II Council, Jewish involvement, to Soveta Catholica. Uh, there is a huge rising sect in quote-unquote Judeo-Christianity, and I was wondering if you can kind of elaborate a little bit on how that was founded and how, that's, how that grew. It started in the 1950s in America, uh, where we wanted to have some type of irenic relationships because we're all Americans, okay? So we're all supposed to get along because we're all Americans, the big enemy at that point was communism, so we're all going to unite, and this is the way we're going to unite, by talking about Judeo-Christianity. Well, uh, does St. John, John ever use the word Judeo-Christianity no. in his gospel? No. no, he didn't. Because at that point, the Jews and the Christians were enemies. Well, I think that's always the case. The right. Jews and the Christians are going to be enemies. Now, what's the difference? Well, I am told to love my enemies. The Jews are told that hate is a virtue. Yeah. And you don't believe me? It's Rabbi Meyer Solvichik. He wrote the article in First Things, which is the modern version of Judeo-Christianity. If you want to go find out what that means today, read First Things, where they're trying to square that circle. Uh, and uh, in doing it, they publish articles by uh, Rabbi Solvichik, who's talking about how it's a virtue to hate people. Oh, wow. I don't, that's not my religion. That's yours. And if you think these two things are compatible, you're crazy. They're not compatible. So it was a fiction that was created in the, in the 50s uh, to fight communism. And it's perdured to this day. Whenever you want to get the Goyim on board, uh, to support uh, the next war in Israel, for Israel, I mean, you start uh, talking about Judeo-Christianity. And the Scofield Bible, pretty much. Yeah, that, that's that's a whole other issue. That's the Protestant version of what we're talking about, which I haven't really talked about. But okay. yes, you're right. Wow. Uh, kind of to elaborate more on the Judeo-Christianity today, uh, do, you, do you fully believe, or actually at least agree on, that a lot of our Middle Eastern affairs and conflicts caused by the USA is on behalf of the state of Israel, backed by the Jews. Of course it is. Of course, it's obvious. It's obvious. So uh, the, the uh, Walt Mearsheimer came up with the book, The Israel Lobby, about uh, 20, 20 years ago, was it? Something like that. They right. uh, recently had a, 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 did a series of interviews. The book got no traction whatsoever, but it did wreck their careers. 
because the Jews will never forgive you for saying something like that. So it wrecked their careers. But uh, just to go to the present, everything that Donald Trump did was bad. Right? If you're if you're a Democrat, you everything he did was bad. It was the worst thing ever happened. And Joe Biden comes in and during his first 15 minutes in office, he overturns everything that Trump did. Oh, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Almost everything. Almost everything. There's one exception, and that was the nuclear agreement, which the Democrats had worked out with Iran. Right. Well, wait, wait a minute. It ter- looks as if we're going to keep a Trump's rejection of the nuclear agreement. Now, does that mean that Trump was not so bad after all? No, it doesn't. It means that the, the Jews control the Biden administration every bit as much as they control the Trump administration. Right, right. Um, I remember you were saying about three powerful Jews that were controlling his Middle Eastern policy. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on their heavily involvement with the Middle Eastern policy and with the Joe Biden policy today. Yeah, well, those three Jews are not. First of all, uh, one uh, Jew has gone to his eternal reward or maybe his eternal punishment. You know, I mean, after all... uh, Baptism is necessary for salvation, and you spend your life uh, as a usurer and gambler, uh, chances are you're not going to do well when you stand before God. But he was very powerful. That was Sheldon Adelson. He died uh, not too long ago. So that leaves Bernard Marcus and Paul Singer, two of the other Jews who are still around. Vulture capitalist uh, Bernard Marcus is head of Home Depot, whose job is to put every independent hardware store out of business so that he can have a monopoly position in that market. Uh, Nothing has changed in this regard. So mainstream media outlets, I forget which one it was. It happened in a number number of different outlets, maybe Newsweek, Time, one of those things. But anyway, said, no, actually, I know, it was the Jerusalem Post. It was the Jewish uh, press who said there are so many Jews in Biden's cabinet that he could have a minion. Which means you have 10 Jews, you need 10 Jews to have a prayer service at a synagogue. Well, you've got a synagogue there running America's, not just the foreign policy, but the domestic policy. And so as a result, you end up with uh, people like Rachel, Rachel Levine. This is a, a fat Jew from Pennsylvania who thinks he's a woman. But that's that's one thing. But he wants us to think that he's a woman. Right. I said, well, wait a minute. Are, 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 why, are you, why are you imposing this travesty on me? We know what you are. And not exactly. only that, it gets even worse because he's going to advise the nation on health. What does this If this man knew anything about health, he wouldn't have had himself uh, neutered surgically. And had his body shot up with hormones. That's the physical health. And now, uh, statistically, he's much more liable to commit suicide than people who don't undergo this operation. So why is a man like this uh, lecturing us about health? The short answer to that is Jewish privilege. He has Jewish privilege. That was one of the first books that I wrote that got banned from uh, Amazon. It was a bestseller on Amazon Kindle. And the Jews didn't like it, so they banned it. You know, if I don't like what the Jews do, I just have to suffer and take it. I don't like what they do, but I have no power to prevent them from 
taking over the entire government, taking over uh, entertainment, taking over discourse. I, I, all, all I have to do, all I have is my ability to reason and be rational about this, try to explain it, and that enrages these people and they try to destroy me. There's something wrong here, something wrong. And when the Catholic people wake up to it, uh, there will be a big change. Wow. Uh, as far as the Trump administration before Biden, it was it was really sad to see a lot of Trump supporters who think they were making a big change celebrate the signing of the anti-Semitism law, quote-unquote, by Donald Trump. And I think it's going to get even more worse under Joe Biden. Uh, I wanted to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, that was one of the great uh, moments of American decline. So if, if you watch that the, the picture, there's a picture of Trump signing there. You'll see uh, an old uh, Jewish guy next to him. It's Alan Dershowitz, uh, the former uh, uh, chairman of the law school at uh, Harvard University, which is now a Jewish university, by the way. Right, right. Uh, if, you if you go back in time, type in Alan Dershowitz, William F. Buckley, you will find a firing line segment where Alan Dershowitz is defending deep throat porn pornographic film as protected speech under the First Amendment. So this is this is this is what we have to keep in mind with Jewish culture. What is the what is the coherence here? You got one is first of all, no one in America before the arrival of the Jews ever considered obscenity as protected speech under the First Amendment. No one. Absolutely no one. Okay, once the Jews got a foothold, then their Jewish lawyers started to undermine this, and it changed. So now you have people who can produce pornography with impunity, and now you're punished if you criticize the state of Israel. That's Jewish culture. There's no... Co it's hypocrisy. It's another word for this. is hypocrisy, because the only thing that matters is do the Jews like it? Are the Jews in power? If the Jews are in power, they will ban anything approaching free speech, which is what we're going on today. If they are not in power, they will promote any type of subversionary activity, including pornography, uh, whatever, stealing nuclear secrets, uh, whatever, whatever, as long because that's the part of the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Well, Dr. Jones, I really want to thank you. Uh for the opportunity to have this interview with me. Uh, you Personally, you made a huge impact on my life. Uh, last, year, last year, I wasn't married. I didn't, definitely did not have any kids. And now this year, I'm married. My, my child, my daughter will be born next month. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. You, you, made, you. you made my day by, by saying that. <laughs> Thank you. No, you, uh, you, you definitely helped me a lot and made a huge positive impact. And personally, I, I just I really want to thank you for that, honestly. You're welcome. So spread the word among your, your friends. Oh, definitely. I have and, uh, to share this. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. God bless Please, you. Now. Send, send me the link to the, uh, to the interview when you post it. Definitely, I will. God bless okay. you. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Bye-bye.